This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's reading of God's holy word comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly, recognizing who you are and thankful for your great provision. Lord God, you are the creator of all things. You are the giver of all good gifts, Lord, and you are the provider of our salvation. Lord, you have graciously given us relationships and families and the means to live our lives. And you've even also given us your word your good and holy word to instruct us and to guide us and to draw us to yourself. Lord, with all these things that you've given us, help us to love others as you have loved us. Help us not to squander the gifts that you've given us, Lord, but to embrace them and live actively in gratitude and thankfulness for what you've done for us. God, we pray for this church, for this congregation, for all the ministries that are happening for all the people who are serving. God, for all those who feel lost, for all those who feel lonely. God, we lift up to you those who are sick and broken and hurting, and we ask that you minister to them through this service, through the preached word. God, through the hands of the church and through the love of the brothers and sisters in Christ that you've given. God, we also pray for the broke, the lonely, and the weak of our community. 
Lord, the people outside these walls that don't know you, that are suffering because of the, the natural repercussions of a sinful world. God, give us a heart for them and help us to help them in their ultimate need to share with them Jesus, to share with them the gifts that we've been so wonderfully given and help us also to serve them with our hands and to fill their needs so that we can show them the love of Christ that you have shown us. God, we pray for this morning specifically that you would open up our ears right now in this moment, that our minds and our hearts would be hearing the scriptures and convinced of the scriptures, Lord, that your spirit would be working in us so that we can receive the truth that you have for us this morning and that we would be transformed in a meaningful way so that we can respond with action, so that we can respond with thought and prayer for what you have given us. Lord, help us not to walk away from this moment changed. God, be with Pastor Aaron as he brings forth your word. Be with his words and guide them and help him to preach the word clearly, help him to preach the gospel clearly, and let it be edifying for your church because you are good and you can do so and you will do so. We pray this all in confidence because of what you have done and continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, First Press. It's a joy to be with you, and if you would just open your Bibles to Luke 14, uh, beginning of verse 12, we're, we're actually continuing what uh, began last week, which is Jesus is at a dinner party. And if you've paid attention last week, you saw that, that Jesus has a way of, of correcting everyone. Uh, Jesus has a way of, of pointing the finger and asking the difficult question. Jesus has a way of getting into everyone's stuff. Uh, last week, we saw Jesus correct the Pharisees by healing the man on the Sabbath. Uh, we saw Jesus correct the invited guests at the dinner party by what seat they chose. See, he reminded them that they needed to come in humility and, and to choose the lower seat rather than the greater seat. And yet today we see that now Jesus turns his attention to the host of the dinner. Yes, even the host doesn't escape Jesus' correction. I want to turn your attention to verse 12, and it says, And he said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. I draw your attention here that, that Jesus must have noticed something about the group of people that was assembled in the house that day. Maybe it was the relationship, the inside jokes, the, the comfortability of one with another. But whatever it was, Jesus surely saw that this group of people were very close. But Jesus draws the attention to the fact that that closeness, while it's not a bad thing, can get in the way of a better thing. As Jesus draws the attention that in verse 12, we're not simply to invite our friends and our brothers together, and here's why, because they'll repay you. Notice the word repay. They'll give you back what you've given them. In many relationships today, everything is built around that premise. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. There's a sense of responsibility that, that if I do something for someone else, they should be willing to do it for me. I, I know I feel that sense. 
I have a neighbor who goes above and beyond. There will be times I'm coming home and I'll see him pulling my, my trash cans up to the driveway or I see him up on the roof cleaning out my gutters and there is surely this feeling in me that I have to do something to repay him for the goodness that he has done for me over again and over again and over again. And I don't want you to think I'm lazy, but, but, but the truth is this man is just a giving man. I see it. And there's a sense in which I, I recognize I, I need to repay him. And so maybe I invite him over for dinner or we, we go to the show or whatever. I just, there's a sense of I need to scratch his back because he scratched mine. Truth of the matter, Jesus is saying those kinds of relationships, while good, miss the point of what we really should be about. The point that we have this standard of I'll help you if you help me. I'll watch your kids if you watch my kids. I'll feed you if you feed me. We're missing the point of what Jesus really wants us to see about the relationships and the opportunities each and every one of us has before us. See, the opportunities before us is that we are to love others as God has loved us. The truth is we could never pay God back for what he's done for us, amen? I mean, if you really think about what the good news of the gospel teaches, it's that, that our sins have been forever taken care of. That we are now in right standing with God the Father. That we've been given all the treasures and riches of heaven. There's no way on earth we could ever pay back God for all the good we've been given. And yet God willingly gives us. He gives it in his perfect son who came and bled and died for us. And he calls us to love our neighbors as he has loved us. He's called us actually to invite the poor, the lame and the blind. Look at verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. See, the blessing comes not in the back scratching that goes on in most of our relationships. The blessing comes from heaven. Notice what he says at the end of verse 14. He says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This future. There's this, this hope and this anticipation of the blessing of God. See, we're called to serve the least of these. We're called to bless those who can't bless us back. We're called to recognize that all humanity has dignity before God because they're made in the very image of God. The truth is, as good stewards of all that God has given us, we have a responsibility. We've been entrusted with those gifts. For what purpose? To care for others. I want you to think about that for a moment. The responsibility we've been entrusted with the finances we have, the time we have, the resources we have, the gifts we have. They're not just to be used in some bargaining chip between us and our friends that I'll do this for you if you do that for me as we, as we trade skills. No, we're, we're to use them for the glory of God to serve those who are the least of these, who can never give back. Friends, this isn't some new concept Jesus is laying before his people. This is founded even in the Old Testament. The book of Deuteronomy, chapters 14 and 16, 
which give direction to the people of God as they celebrate the feasts of the Old Testament, they're to make sure that they include the least of these. There is to be no partiality amongst them. This is the calling. No partiality. I want to tell you a story. As I was kind of preparing for this, I, my mind kept going back to a moment in time in my own life. It was a time when I was in Bible college in Florida. It was a time my eyes were opened for the very first time to see the thousands of homeless people who walked the streets in Tampa and in Clearwater. I was there as a freshman, and I was just getting uh, acquainted with, with the city uh, of Tampa and Clearwater because the school I went to was in Clearwater, and if you're in Clearwater, you're kind of in the outskirts of Tampa. But within those cities, I, I was invited to go with one of, the, one of my uh, roommates, and he said, come on, I'm going to show you the town, and I want you to see what is around us. And I remember thinking, man, we're going to see skyscrapers, and we're going to see palm trees, and we're going to see lots of beaches. This is going to be amazing. And as he took me to the inner cities, what he showed me was the thousands of homeless who darkened all the doorways. The homeless who filled the streets. There was that aha moment when I realized that, that the, the people from the north moved to the south because at least it's warm there. They don't have to worry about frostbite. They don't have to worry about the cold. And so as they find their way, by taking trains or jumping on buses or hitchhiking or however they get here, the South was filled with homeless people. My eyes were open to this. I remember going back to my room where I had my cozy comforter and my little pillow. I remember my little refrigerator filled with all my favorite drinks and I even had those noodles, you know, those college noodles that you eat that are horrible for you. I remember sitting at my bed and I remember just putting my head down and my mind was filled with faces of the homeless. I couldn't sleep that night. I began asking the question, what can we do? What should we do? Well, a few friends and I began to meet together. We began to pray. We began to seek a way to do something and so we began to hit the streets of Tampa and Clearwater. A few of us went to the downtown areas to seek out and to meet homeless individuals. Our goal was first and foremost to share the good news of Christ with them. For what else did we have to offer? We were poor college students. We didn't know what else to do. We didn't even know how to approach them. But we saw the urgency that these people mattered to God and therefore they should matter to us. I remember as we began to talk with them, we discovered how many just needed things like socks. And so we would go back to our own dorms and we would empty our sock drawers and just begin to give away our socks. We began to give away our blankets and our pillows. And our parents began to wonder, Why, what's happening there? Is there a flood in, in the dorm? What's going on? Why are you needing so many of these personal items? We began to buy toiletries in the dozens just so we could give them out to those who needed them. Soon, we began to ask a bigger question. How can we make a real impact? We came up with the idea of holding a large gathering. Believe it or not, we thought of having a party for the homeless. 
And, and as we began to think about that idea, we began to become excited about the idea of all the things we could do. We could have a place where there's food and, and, a, and a clothing closet, and we could offer personal items like toiletries. And most importantly, we could preach the gospel to these people as they see that we care. We build relationships, and we began to become excited. We began to take jars from dorm room to dorm room, asking for change, asking for old garments of clothing, just thinking, come on, be part of this. We began to call churches and asking churches to jump on board. Slowly, we began to gather food and clothing and blankets and toiletries. And then we realized if we're going to do this, we need to get into the city and talk to them. We began to read about the permits that would be necessary to hold an event in downtown Clearwater. And I remember the seriousness to which we started to plan all the details of what we wanted to do. Eventually, I showed up at the city. I got the paperwork. I took it back to my dorm room. I filled it all out. I had one of my friends read it because I have dyslexia, and that's never good. <laughs> and they made sure all the spelling was right, and we turned it in. But it was that day that we discovered the resistance of what we were doing by the city officials. We were met with roadblock after roadblock, all under the guise of some new permit or approval we would need. There was the park permit, then there was the food permit, then there was the sound permit, then there was the nonprofit permit. One permit after another. And every time we said, how can we do this? Finally, as everything seemed to finally part and we were able to complete our task, I was called to the city, city office. As I approached the city manager's office, I learned of yet another permit and another fee. And the problem was we were just a few days away from our event. Seeing my exhaustion, the man behind the desk said, why are you doing this anyway? Don't you know we don't want the homeless here at all in the first place? And now all you're doing is gathering more of them? As a young freshman, I remember looking at that man and praying very quickly that God would give me the words. I remember replying, because our Savior calls us to love and care for the least of these. That's why we're doing what we'll do. Friends, let me tell you, I remember the eye roll he gave me as if it were yesterday. Now the truth is, by God's grace, a gathering did take place. Clothes were passed out, food was eaten, care was given to the least of these, and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached. But I'll never forget when I had to face the city and realize the resistance to care for the least of these. The truth is, the resistance isn't just out there, is it? The resistance is in here. For many of us, the problem is ourselves. The problem is our own comfort, our own enjoyment. We view others as kind of a tool to be used rather than a person to be loved. In our story, we see Jesus correcting the behavior of this host. But let's be honest, Jesus is really correcting the behavior of each and every one of us as well. To help us understand the importance of this, 
Jesus links the reality of last things with our actions now. In verse 14, he says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There are blessings for those who do what God has commanded. Now, it's true. Our works do not save us. We are saved 100% by the grace of God. Yet, hear me today. Those who've been saved will show their salvation by their works. Paul writes of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which he, God, prepared beforehand so that we each would walk in them. And if that weren't enough, most importantly, he offers us the picture of the Savior. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for you and for me, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He shared his wealth. He shared his righteousness. He shared his holiness. We call it the great exchange. He took our poverty and we got his riches. Each of us who understands that knows the love and the amazing blessing that Christ has played in our life. The question is, what are we doing with it? Are we simply living for our own comfort? Or are we seeking to live for the glory of God? That's the challenge that Jesus is putting before the host of this party. Before we pick on the host too much, I want you to notice what one man in the crowd begins to say. I envision this man sitting at the table and, and looking across and seeing the, the, just the exhaustion of his friends as they've been chastised by Jesus. And he says in verse 15, he says, Blessed is everyone who eats of the bread of the kingdom of God. I like what Phil Riken says here. He says, maybe he was just trying to salvage a poor dinner party. He's just trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Find something that everybody can agree with. Surely everybody will say, blessed is everyone who eats the bread in the kingdom of heaven. Surely everybody could get along with that. You can imagine the man. You can imagine his, his willingness to say, let's just turn the music up again. Let's just start dancing. We have such a good time here. Let's not ruin it with all this. But friends, Jesus wouldn't let that go by. Do you hear me? Jesus wouldn't let cute little Christianese go by. Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the matter. Jesus didn't want anyone to miss his point. Jesus wanted to make sure that we all understood the need of receiving that invitation from the host right now. Jesus goes on to tell a story of a parable. The parable is about a man who gave a banquet, hmm. just like the dinner party he was at. One of the things you need to understand about this story that Jesus is telling is there's a background. For one to hold a grand banquet, a, a big dinner, there would be a double invitation. To us, it doesn't make much sense, but let me help explain that in their culture. This double invitation would go something like this. Hey, I'm thinking about having a party, and I would really like you to come. Would you guys be able to make it on such and such date? Yeah, I think we're going to go. Check the box. 
Then to be sure that they didn't miss the party, a servant would be sent from the home to announce that the food was ready, the house was prepared, the banquet was set to begin. It's in that setting that Jesus tells us a host had sent out his servant to graciously invite again all the guests who had been previously invited. The banquet is ready, according to verse 17. And what happens in verse 18? Those invited guests begin to give their excuses. In verse 18, one says, I bought a field. I need to go see it. In verse 19, one says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. In verse 20, another says, I've married a wife. I need to spend time with her. In each of those, we see that their excuses are focused on the temporal things. They're focused on their own comfort, the comfort of this life. Friends, understand this. The comfort of this life can begin to interfere with our commitments. Let me say that again. The comfort of this life can begin to interfere with each and every one of our commitments. See, the host of the banquet sent his messenger. The banquet was ready. They said they would come. But now, the comfort of life got in the way. I want you to see the actions as the servant comes back and he reports to the host. The host, in his anger, responds, then widen the invitation. In verse 21, he tells his servant, bring in the weak, bring in the weary, bring in the needy, bring in all the overlooked in society. Fill this room. When the servant returns yet again, he reports, there's still room, sir. There's still room. To which the host responds, then go even to the back roads. Go to the highways. Go to the byways. Compel them to come in. Friends, notice what he's doing. He's saying, go to perfect strangers. Go to those who are far away. Those who don't even know me. And compel them to come to my feast. This idea of compelling is this idea of wrestling, this idea of, of urging, this idea of, 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 of pulling them towards this party. The host tells the servant to go and compel them. And these individuals would need compelling because they didn't know the host. Friends, let me be very clear. This is a picture of the Gentiles. See, the first picture is the picture of the Jews. They knew the promises. They knew the coming of the Messiah. They knew the blessings of God. And everyone said, yes, yes, we want to be part of the covenant. Yes, yes, we love God. Yes, yes. But when the invitation came, they were all too busy with their comfort. And so we see the picture of the widening invitation. We see the compelling of the servant to go and bring them in. Now, just to be clear, the Jews who had been given all of these promises thought salvation was merely for them. They thought they could be content with it, lazy with it. It didn't really matter because, you know what, I'm good. But all the while, they missed the truth that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, that the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That the church is made up of both Jew and Gentile. 
And it's these Gentiles who will need to be compelled. These Gentiles didn't grow up in the promises, in the truth of the word. They didn't know about the living and true God. They worshipped idols. They were far from the things of the promises of God. And yet, they would be compelled to come by the messengers of God, such as Paul. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, where he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. He goes on to say, we implore you. Do you hear that? We compel you. We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Church, the truth is there's still room. The truth is that we must compel others to come in. That's why we are here. The church is to be the witness, the light, the salt, the ambassadors. The question is, are we too comfortable? Are we too relaxed? Do we miss the very people God has placed in front of us? I want to draw your attention to a warning that Jesus offers. It's found in verse 24. It reads this way. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The question is, who is, who is Jesus referring to? He, he's surely not referring to those he's compelling to come in. He, he's surely not referring to the lame, the blind, and, and the broken in the streets around him. No, he's referring to those who knew the promises but were too comfortable to truly act. He's saying there is no blessing for them. There's no blessing for those who were first invited but now reject the offer. Let me tell you, as the covenantal church, we understand that we have been given the blessings we raise our children to understand they're, they're part of the promises of God, the, the long line of heritage from the Old Testament forward. We read the scriptures and we see the blessings of God, but we must believe. We must act. We must heed the invitation. The writer of the book of Hebrews says something very stark in chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. He says, for it is impossible in the case of those who once have been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Friends, that's a hard verse. That's a hard passage. That passage brings before us the truth of the, of the reality of the importance of responding to the blessings and the promises and the invitation that Christ has provided. Many of us have heard of the unforgivable sin. Let me tell you, the unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin is to reject Christ the one whom the Spirit reveals. 
For many of us, we've grown up around all the Christian language. We, we know of Christmas and Easter. We know of the cross. We know of all the details of the things that we give allegiance to. But do we truly believe? And if we truly believe, how should that change the way we live? Church, Jesus' words offer warning. Jesus' words offer warning of a response that is necessary. Understand me today, I'm asking you, have you personally responded to the invitation of Christ? Jesus' invitation is this in Matthew 11. He says, come unto me all who labor. Come unto me all who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And in you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest. Jesus is that rest. Have you trusted him? Or do you have a relationship with Jesus where it's he scratches my back and I scratch his? If you've truly responded to that invitation, are you compelling others to come? Are you compelling even the least of these to come? For all of us have been commanded in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, compel, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's why missions matters. That's why we should care about seeing even the least of these brought into the kingdom of God. The bottom line is this. We should all be seeking to know Christ and to make Christ known throughout the world. It should be our greatest desire. But is it? Friends, my prayer is that we would all heed this warning from Christ. My prayer is that we would step outside of our own comfort zones and that we would seek to care for those who cannot repay. That we would explore our own hearts and our own responses to the gracious invitation of King Jesus. And that once we've examined where we would stand, that we would then compel others to receive this gracious offer as well. May we not be selfish. May we not be caught up in our own comfort, but may we be busy seeking the glory of the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this chapter 14, this chapter 14 in which we see Jesus get into the business of all of us. God, may we see the reality of what he's calling us to in repentance and truly resting in him. May we heed his invitation. May we pay attention to his warning. For many of us in this room have grown up in the church. We've heard the counsel of God's word Sunday after Sunday. We've, we've memorized scriptures at camps and in Sunday school, and yet many still have not truly heeded the invitation. God, soften our hearts, open our ears, unblock our minds. Help us to see the glory of Christ. May we run to him, may we embrace him, and may we compel others to do the same. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, 
please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.